Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast, Ben, Brett, and Jordy fighting for democracy here and abroad. Kiev stands for yet another day, a valiant, courageous, one of the bravest things, I think, not just in the history of my lifetime, frankly, but in the history of, of human history, uh, Ukraine fighting back against the unlawful invasion by Vladimir Putin. I don't even want to say Russia because the Russian people don't agree with this unlawful invasion. The Russian people want to take to the street. This is a madman. This is a raving lunatic who's been given way too much credit for being a logical actor by Donald Trump and, and others. But this man has presented himself as a madman. But just some updates uh, on the Ukraine front that we will be providing for you today. We have a very special guest as well, Fred Wellman, a pro-democracy advocate, I think is probably the best way to describe Fred. Fred is a political consultant. He is a co-founder of the Beer Hall Project, and he served in the U.S. Army for 22 years as an aviator and public affairs officer, including four combat tours over Operation Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom. So, Brett, why don't you break down some other updates going on in Ukraine? Yeah, very volatile situation in Ukraine as we preface all of our Ukraine coverage because things are really happening by the minute. And first, I just want to say how crazy it is yeah. for all of us right now to be in this moment of history where we are witnessing basically a world at the precipice of war via social media playing out in real time on Twitter feeds, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. I don't think anything like this has ever happened in the history of mankind. And it is truly a marvel to watch and be a part of and see the bravery and the heroism of the Ukrainians, the Ukrainian people, President Zelensky. It is truly something to witness. True bravery, true heroism, true patriotism. And I just want to send my love, my strength, my prayers to the Ukrainian people. And I want to thank all of our listeners for everything that you're doing to send your support to the Ukrainian people. They're watching. This is a social media war as much as it is a ground war. And they are watching all of our support. They are watching as all of you take to the streets in cities across the world. And it is just so heartwarming to see this outpouring of support for peace, and for love and for democracy. And here is where things stand right now in Ukraine. First round of peace talks have been completed between Russia and Ukraine, says the Ukraine delegation. The delegations met for about six hours, and they say that more talks will happen in the coming days. Now, sanctions. We've been speaking about sanctions on this show and the merit of sanctions. Do sanctions really do anything? Well, let's look at it by the numbers, folks. The Russian ruble has now crashed more than 40%. Yes. A ruble is now worth less than a penny. Think about that. What is less that? Less than a penny. Russian inflation is estimated to have spiked about 70%. The Russian state-owned banks are failing. Yesterday, everybody, well, it's kind of today, you know, with the time zones, it's hard to keep track of, but the markets today, everybody was wondering what's going to happen with the Russian stock market. They ultimately chose to pause trading 
and then ultimately decided not to even open up the markets at all for fear of a complete and utter collapse. But that did not stop Russian companies from being traded on international markets. And Russian companies on international markets have plummeted to record lows. And the world is uniting like never before in the face of authoritarianism. The historically neutral Switzerland has adopted the EU sanctions and has frozen Putin's asset along with many other countries. And Zelensky this morning signed an application for Ukraine's membership to the European Union. It's clear that the world is uniting against Russia, against authoritarianism, and it is really just so incredible to see the unity. Putin thought that he was looking at a weakened world in a post-Trump world, a weakened NATO, a weakened EU, a weakened pro-democracy coalition. And what he has done is he has activated perhaps the biggest pro-democracy coalition of nations in world history. What's happening now is NATO, the EU, pro-democracy loving people are stronger than ever in the world. And Putin has never looked smaller and never looked weaker, never looked more tiny and little and craven. But let's be careful here. I mean, a weakened Putin, a Putin who's being humiliated on the global stage is also a very dangerous Putin. So we are not out of this. But the Ukrainian people, you know, I'm just going to say, you know, something that they might say, don't fuck with them. Don't fuck with the Ukrainian <laughs> people because these people are true badasses. I mean, every video from did you see the video of the guy holding the landmine and taking the landmine off the road while he was smoking a cigarette? I'm not a fan of cigarettes, but smoke your cigarette. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. I love <laughs> he it. He didn't even drop it. It stayed in his mouth the whole time. <laughs> it stayed in his mouth the whole time. It's the bravery of these people is so incredible. And seeing a leader like Zelensky is truly just mind blowing when you have all these people as these politicians in America who try to project this strongman attitude, this machismo, this, this just fake fraudulent sense of strength. And then you have a real leader in Zelensky who is a actual strong man, who is an actual leader. Have you like looked into Zelensky's history? Because I've just fascinated by the dude. He is like a Renaissance man. He is like, the guy could do everything. I feel like every day I learned he did that also. Have you seen this guy's history? Wasn't he, wasn't he also in the movies? Okay, so until 2019, like not 2009, 2019, he was an actor in a TV show called Servant of the People. And he actually has, uh, I think his his production company has a different name, but he ended up making a political party called Servant of the People based on his TV show, Servant of the People, where he played the president of Ukraine. He was a comedian and actor. Like Think about like if Jon Stewart had a role in the top TV show in America, Then he created the Daily Show Party and then created the Daily Show Party and then became president of a country of the United States fighting against corruption. That's the plot of Longshot, the movie that's before doing that. Imagine if Jon Stewart also got a law degree from the top university in (laughs) in the United States, like Harvard Law and and Zelensky got his law degree from the equivalent of that in Ukraine. Then imagine if Jon Stewart didn't just participate in Dancing with the Stars, but won Dancing with the Stars. Zelensky won the Ukrainian version of Dancing with the Stars first place. (laughs) Zelensky starred in addition to the TV show in a number of top movies, 
um, that are very popular in Russia. He won with overwhelming uh, support in a very crucial and critical election. He's now demonstrated what a hero, how courageous he is. Wait, I just it, want to say before we before we lose it, he also did the voice of Paddington Bear in Ukraine. Like every time I see something, I'm like, no, he didn't. Come on. He did that also. Like, does, does anybody else like he just does all the jobs? He does everything. It's it's <laughs> it's un, un, this guy's unbelievable. And this is the individual who Donald Trump extorted. This is the individual who Donald Trump refused, although Donald Trump now wants to rewrite the history. He was very pro Putin every single day, especially, you know, two days ago, Donald Trump was super pro Putin. And now Donald Trump wants to take credit for NATO when he was like actually trying to destroy NATO and discredit NATO and called NATO stupid literally two days ago and said that NATO was weak two days ago and that the sanctions weren't working. But it brings it into such starker contrast, the call that Donald Trump had um, with with uh, the Ukrainian President Zelensky, where he threatened Zelensky and said that we're not going to give you weapons. We're not going to give you these Javelin systems to protect your country unless you gin up a fake investigation into Joe Biden, into his political adversary. Like, just think about that Zelensky who he was talking to, you know. And basically, when I think about that call, I think that was Putin talking to Zelensky. I don't even think it was like yeah. Trump. Like, like Trump is such a stooge of Putin that that's who was talking to him. I'm saying I want to cut you off because I don't want to give the rest of the GOP a pass here either. This isn't just Trump as a as a person. This was the entire Republican Party. I mean, let's not forget 52 out of 53 Republican senators voted to allow Trump to block that much needed military aid to Ukraine. They were all in on it. The GOP is the party of Putin. And that's what they've shown us time and time again. Not only that, in 2016, remember when they, they, the GOP actually used to produce like official campaign documents about, uh, you know, their plans for uh, what was going to happen and what Donald Trump and Paul Manafort actually convinced the GOP to take out their support of Ukraine in the official GOP platform in 2016. It's absolutely the case. The Republicans want to try to reinvent history right now. Um, some do. Some are still totally pro-Putin. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have, you, you know, you have you noticed the pivot, though, in Fox News over the past um, 48 hours, though, like they literally change. I, I don't know how you change like that. Like it just shows what a phony network they are to begin with. You know, they went from being very, very, very pro Putin. And now they start acting like they care about Ukraine, but occasionally they'll still have a guest come on now who's very pro Putin. And then they'll actually try to have a responsible reporter. Like they don't have like Tucker speaking to them anymore. Like they'll try to have the responsible reporter kind of like check them. They, um, yeah, they, they hedge their bets is what they do there at, at Fox Entertainment Network. Where are you getting your Ukrainian news from, Brett and Jordy? Because I'm getting my news from, and I want to give a shout out to these incredible sources. The Kiev Independent yep. has been doing incredible, almost minute by minute um, updates. Uh, a reporter by the name of Ilya Panamarenko. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, and he works for the Kiev, uh, the, the Kiev Independent. He works for the Kiev Independent. And of course, I'm also looking at Ukraine's Twitter handle itself as Ukraine Twitter handle provides much needed updates. And you also see the difference between a open society, a democratic society, and their ability to utilize and mobilize social media versus a, you know, a despotic, uh, dictatorship and how their inability to use social media yeah. as 
Russia tries to bring down the info and contain info. Ukraine is open with their info and sharing it. And that's been, I think, a major factor as well in this war and this unlawful invasion by Russia. We talked about it from the outset. You could tell that strategically the intelligence communities were saying that and gave that intel because where I think Joe Biden did an incredible job, where our State Department did an incredible job um, leading up to the war was literally broadcasting every one of Putin's moves before Putin made the move. So when Putin tried to come up with this ridiculous pretext for war of denazification and that Ukraine was attacking Russia, all the bullshit protectual stuff that Putin was, it was obviously exposed as a fraud. And then since the unlawful invasion, Ukraine's done an incredible job communicating um, to the world and having messages also tailored to the Russian people. And to that end, I want you to play a clip um, from the Ukrainian ambassador, Sergei Kislitsia, um, uh, spoke in front of the UN General Assembly today, and he read a message from a Russian soldier to his mother moments before the Russian soldier was killed. I listened to this first thing this morning. It really touched my heart, talks about the stakes of war, um, how just horrible and disgusting what Putin is doing, the international ramifications and the Ukrainian bravery all in one. Play the clip. Because I would like to read from the screenshot of the smartphone, of a smartphone uh, of a killed Russian soldier. That's an actual screenshot from someone who is dead already. Леш, ты как? Почему так долго не отвечаешь? Why has it been so long since you responded? Вы точно на учениях? Are you really in, during, in training exercises? Спрашивает мать убитого солдата. Asks the mother of the killed soldier. Моменты перед тем, как Moments before he was killed. Мама, я уже не в Крыму. Мама, I'm no longer in Crimea. Не на учениях. I'm not in training sessions. А где? Where are you then? Papa is asking whether I can send you a parcel. What kind of a parcel, Mama, can you send me? What are you talking about? What happened? Mama, I'm in Ukraine. There is a real war raging here. I'm afraid. We are bombing all of the cities together, even, even targeting civilians. We were told that they would welcome us, and they are falling under our armored vehicles, throwing themselves under the wheels and not allowing us to pass. They call us fascists. Mama, this is so hard. And this was several moments before he was killed. Wow. Yeah. Wow. When, I, when I watched and heard that this morning, it was just so powerful, so tragic. Well, think about it, Ben. I mean, right now you have all these Russian soldiers who are being sent to Ukraine to fight a war about nothing, frankly. 
They're being lied them. to, right? They're, they're being told they're peace. Like they're actually being lied to by Putin about why they're going in there. They're being told they're peacekeepers. They're being told they're going to be greeted with sunflowers and going to be viewed as heroes. Like they're being completely lied and manipulated to and they're walking in um, to the brave and courageous Ukrainians who are killing them. Yeah, and you might you might think to yourself, why why don't they know better? Why don't they do their research to find out that they're on the wrong side of this? Well, Russian state TV, they're being fed this information. Yeah, and it's the same disinformation that we see in this country with networks like Fox News and Newsmax and OAN. It's the same kind of brainwashing. And instead of being greeted with sunflowers, they're being being greeted with sunflower seeds and being told that when you're dead, these sunflower seeds will grow and at least something will good good will come out of it. And it's just so tragic, really, for the Russian people, for these young Russians who are being sent to fight a senseless war of aggression to invade a country that is free, to invade a country that is not so different than Russia, which I think is also interesting. I think they have a, a shared history, um, much of a shared culture, and they are in many ways, you know, brother and sister countries. And so when they go and they see people there who are like them and they see families and they see children, they see women, they see these people standing in front of their tanks, not letting them through, calling them fascists, telling them to leave their land, calling them oppressors, calling them invaders. All of a sudden, they're like, wait, why are we here? What are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And then as these messages go back to Russia, I expect more discontent in the population. As the economy crashes in Russia, I expect more discontent with the population. And right now, Putin is incredibly isolated. Russia is incredibly isolated. They are the pariahs of the world. And it's really time for the Russian people to step up and for the Russian power structure around Putin to step up and say enough is enough. There's no turning back now. Like Putin can't just come back into the frame and be like, hey, we're just kidding, guys. Just a joke. The most dangerous person in the room is the person with nothing to lose. And Putin has been stripped of his power in leadership. He's been stripped of his power in the economy. He's been stripped of his power in his his bravado. All of that's now been taken away from him. But what does he still have? He still has nuclear freaking weapons. And that's a no scary, doubt. that's a scary, scary thought. And Brad, I want to take it one step further. You're talking about the soldiers who were brainwashed. What do you think about just the ordinary citizens of Russia, the pro-democracy citizens? Now, that might sound like an oxymoron to some, but you and I saw hundreds of thousands of Russians in the streets protesting the war, not wanting to be in this senseless war with Ukraine, wanting Putin to get out, wanting Putin to get out of government for good. And now they look at their economy today and a ruble is trading at the equivalency of a penny. Their lives are ruined, destroyed by a senseless war by a senseless leader, by, uh, to put it lightly, a murderous villain in Vladimir Putin. Now, it's tragic. And I think something interesting is, you know, we've we've talked to people over there. We've been speaking with people in Ukraine and people who have family in Ukraine. And one of the interesting things that we found is, you know, there are a lot of people in Ukraine who actually have relatives who live in Russia, who live in Moscow, and they try to communicate with their families. And while we do see a lot of people taking to the streets to protest the war, to protest the invasion, there are a lot of people in Russia who are simply sitting at home watching TV and are being fed the Russia line that Russia are freedom fighters, that Russia is going there to liberate a country because Ukraine is attacking them. And those people believe it because that's all they're being told.
And it really shows you the power of information. And it goes back to what we were speaking about earlier in this episode about the power of digital and that ability to break through that propaganda and get out the right messaging. And I think this war is going to go down in history as the first information war, not to not to Alex Jones at Infowars, but it truly is an information war. And it shows how important the internet is. It shows how important the internet is for organizing, for showing support around the world, for showing Putin's oppression, for showing the horrific things that the Russian soldiers are doing to the Ukrainians. The internet has become such a key player in this. And I want you to take note of that because the internet's been used for a lot of evil shit over the past years. And so it's finally nice to actually see the internet be used for a good cause. And it's something that we should all take note of too, as we move forward to future elections and other sorts of activism, the power of the internet to mobilize and shift public opinion. It's incredibly important. And Ukraine is a hundred percent winning in that space. They are winning that information war. Like you said, Ben, with those journalists who are doing incredible reporting, they all deserve Pulitzer Prizes. They all deserve probably Nobel Peace Prizes, all all these Ukrainians. The information war is real. The Ukrainian people are winning it. And it's motivating people. It's motivating the soldiers. It's motivating the people. It's why we see such support right now for Zelensky around the world and for the Ukrainian people, because everyone's actually able to see what's happening and sort through the bullshit. Oh, I I couldn't agree more, Brett. And I mean, I think it's also important that we'd highlight just some of the most absurd things like Trump's handpicked candidate for governor of Arizona, Wendy Rogers, you know, while the world is uniting, essentially the whole world is uniting (laughs) with Ukraine. This is what Trump's handpicked uh, individual who's running for governor of Arizona, major state in the United States of America, says the following. Zelensky is a globalist puppet for Soros and the Clintons. Next. The West is trying to deplatform and debank Russia. This is just as wrong as invading Ukraine. Next tweet. All, all within the same hour. If Zelensky was so great, Why didn't he amass troops and tanks to defend his country when people were warning him that hundreds of thousands of Russian troops and tanks were amassed on his border for months? Pretty big blunder. Typical liberal who doesn't project strength. Next one. So when will the fake news tell us the truth about Ukraine instead of just the Clinton global initiative side and mixing kind of anti-Semitism, stupidity, pro-Putin, GQPism, you know, all all in one. And Brett, what was the, was it a member of Congress who like literally Webster's dictionary had to respond to? And like Webster's dictionary said, I literally, so what Webster's dictionary said, like we, we are literally the dictionary and we have no clue what you mean, Brett, which member of Congress was that? It was representative Clay Higgins. And he said, and don't worry if you can't understand what I'm about to say, because literally the, the dictionary couldn't understand what what he said. Uh, Representative Clay Higgins said, you millennial leftists who never lived one day under nuclear threat can now reflect upon your woke sky. Woke sky. You made quite a non-binary fuss to save the world from intercontinental ballistic tweets, to which dictionary.com responded, we're not entirely sure what this tweet is supposed to mean, and we're literally 
the dictionary. I, I, you know, these are people who are supposed to be in leadership positions during critical moments in time in the United States of America. As we said before on the last podcast, you cannot be with Ukraine and still support Donald Trump. Those two concepts do not work hand in hand. If you support Donald Trump, if you're still going to do this obsequiousness to Donald Trump, if you're still going to take photos in front of Donald Trump's murals and treat Donald Trump like he should be a dictator of the United States, if you are going to let Donald Trump be the leader of your party, you are not with Ukraine. You are with Vladimir Putin. And I'll tell you, it goes also to like Mitt Romney. And don't get me wrong, Mitt Romney was right about Russia in the election against Obama. Mitt Romney noted that Russia was a grave threat. Mitt Romney has been consistently strong on sanctions. He's been strong on supporting Ukraine. And he's been strong on foreign policy. But the part that still is baffling to me is how is this guy still a Republican? Like, how do you, he made some comment and he was like, you know, what was it? Butch Cassidy. He's like, it's like the old Butch Cassidy line, <laughs> the Butch Cassidy line. You know, you got morons on your team, morons. I tell you, you know, that's play the clip of what he said. Granted, this was not directly about Ukraine. This was about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, we'll talk about this later in the pod, about Marjorie Taylor Greene's decision to speak at this guy Fuentes's, you know, he's a white nationalist and he does these racist conventions and she was the guest speaker. And she this was also about the... Gosar's comments as well as his tweets about pro-Russia tweets. So, so okay. it's a little bit of both. Liz Cheney was right with that statement and she's been right for a long time. And I also saw uh, that uh, that Ronna McDaniel came out with a statement as well. Uh, uh, talking about how repugnant these white nationalists are. Look, there's no place in, in either political party uh, for this white nationalism or racism. It's simply wrong. Uh, it's, it's uh, as, as you've indicated, speaking of evil, uh, it's evil as well. And, uh, and, and you know, I, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, I don't know them, but I'm reminded of that old line from the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid movie where, where one character says, morons, I've got morons on my team. And I have to think anybody that would sit down with white nationalists and speak at their conference was certainly missing a few IQ points. They're still on your team, though. And, and even he name drops Ronna McDaniel, who is Ronna McDaniel Romney, who dropped her name for Trump because Trump didn't want her to be a Romney no more. She disavowed her own family. She disavowed the Romney name to appease I don't think Donald people know Trump. that. That's such an interesting fact that, isn't it, is it Ron or is it Rona? I think it's, I don't know. Because when, what's his, when, uh, when uh, Jamie Harrison comes on the pot, he always goes, Rona. I, I, I kind of think that's like when uh, Republicans go, Kamala. <laughs> so, <laughs> But she did drop her actual last name to appease Donald Trump. And then finally, Brett, play the Tim Cotton clip with George Stephanopoulos. When George Stephanopoulos asked Tim Cotton, can you just simply denounce Donald Trump's praise of Vladimir Putin? Why can't you condemn Donald Trump for those comments? George, if you want to know what Donald Trump thinks about Vladimir Putin or any other topic, I'd encourage you to invite him on your show. 
I don't speak on behalf of other politicians. They can speak for themselves. I speak on behalf of Arkansans. You're a senior member of the Republican Party. Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. He said last night again, suggested that he would be running for president. When Fox News asked him if he had a message for Vladimir Putin, he said he has no message. Why can't you condemn that? I feel quite confident that if Donald, that if Barack Obama or Joe Biden said something like that, you'd be first in line to criticize him. Again, George, if you want to talk to the former president about his views or his message, you can have him on your show. If Donald Trump runs again, can you support him? George, I'm not worried about this fall's election right now, much less an election two years from now. I'm focused on the naked war of aggression that Vladimir Putin has launched in Ukraine right now. There's not a moment to lose. We can worry about electoral politics down the road all right he's a coward he's a coward they're all cowards he's chicken shit he's afraid they're afraid to criticize their vladimir putin mm -hmm. who's a weaker vladimir putin they're afraid because and here's what they're afraid about they're afraid that donald trump is going to be mean to them they're afraid that donald trump is going to go speak in a crowd and give him a bad nickname oh my oh my they're afraid that donald trump is going to start calling him lion ted oh that hurts i mean it's really embarrassing like that is what they're afraid about like they are the biggest chicken shit party these are the biggest chicken shit people in the world that that is what they are afraid about like Donald Trump has shown time and time again that he's the big bad wolf. He'll huff and puff and I'll blow your house down. But there's no substance there. Donald Trump wouldn't throw a grape in a fruit fight. Donald Trump is the biggest wimp ever. That is who Donald Trump is. He is scared. He is obsequious to Putin. And we need to be honest at this time in history about what is actually going on. And Republican leaders, if you want to be true leaders, you have to call Trump out. And otherwise, you can't be a part of this pro-Putin party. That is what the Republican Party is. But I love, if there's one thing that I love that's come good that's come out of this unlawful invasion. It is the stark contrast. It is that the world is uniting. It is that the NATO alliance is stronger than ever. It is that the European Union and, and countries like Germany have now decided to lean into their defense budgets to protect the world and recognize what the stakes are here. And I do love having a president having the Secretary of State, having Department of Defense heads that actually support and will fight for our country. Now, excited to get the take of Fred Wellman, who served tours of duty courageously for the United States, fighting for our democracy and is a pro-democracy advocate here. Let's bring in Fred Wellman. But before doing that, I want to talk about Express VPN. Oh. Have you guys tried Express VPN? Sure. You know, for me, privacy online is one of the most important things. And I do not like when I'm searching, even if you go on incognito mode, like the advertisers are still able to see what you're searching. The incognito mode doesn't even help with that. And then they target spam at you and they hit you with all of these ads. I don't like my data floating 
out there like that. And so that's why I use ExpressVPN. It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. Just think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, the list of people you've messaged, the sites you visit, and videos you've watched get tracked by tech giants who can sell your information for a profit. It's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by Business Insider and The Verge. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with VPN. We trust that keeps us private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Midas. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Midas to get three extra months free. Again, go to expressvpn.com slash Midas right now to learn more. And Brett, I'm learning that you look a little upbeat today. You're, you're looking energized today. Oh, Am I energized, you guys? You know why? I know where this is going. Well, because I got my coffee and I got my good coffee, you know? And so I've been traveling over the last few weeks and I recently got back and I was so excited to get back to a new bag of trade coffee that had arrived at my door. Because here's what you got to know about coffee and when you're shopping for coffee, because I am like one of the biggest coffee nerds out there, 90% of the coffee from the grocery store that you find is actually stale coffee. You heard that right. The coffee you know and love needs an upgrade. And instead of re-buying the same old, same old, let Trade Coffee send you something freshly roasted that you're literally guaranteed to love. So here's what Trade Coffee does. They sell the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like whole or ground. So whether you're a coffee nerd like me, or you just want a better cup, trades real coffee experts, taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing methods. So take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they will replace it for free. It's been featured in the New York Times, Wired, GQ, and has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee. The subscription is no hassle. You could skip shipments, change your frequency or cancel at Anytime. I'm telling you, every single bag of coffee I've gotten from Trade Coffee has been perfect, has been so good because you could personalize it exactly the way you want it. When I take the quiz, I'm personally a fan of light roast coffees, whole beans, so I could grind it fresh, put it in my Chemex, put it in my espresso machine. And I've been getting some great coffees from Chicago, from Santa Barbara. You know, it comes fresh, it smells amazing, it has the roast dates on the bag, so you know that it was made fresh for you. And get this, our listeners right now, Trade Coffee is offering $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash Midas. So to get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash Midas and start your journey to the perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash M-E-I-D-A-S for $20 off your first three bags. Do it. Trust me. I love, love, love Trade Coffee. Excited to bring in our guest, Fred Wellman. He's been a big friend of the pod, friend of Midas Touch since our inception. Fred is a hero. Fred is a 22-year 
aviator in the U.S. Army. He's a public affairs officer. He had four combat tours over Operation Desert Storm and Iraqi freedom. I'm excited to chat with Fred about the developments of of the day with what's going on in Ukraine and elsewhere. Fred Wellman, welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. Great to be back. It's been too long, fellas. My God, it's been like six months. Fred, I think we should never longer. go six. Yeah, we should never go six months without talking. Fred, no. you What's may have that? inadvertently turned Jordy into a meme. I don't know if you know the, the video that you <laughs> did would, went I, viral. <laughs> I was saving this for my question, but let me just bring what? this up. Let me just bring this up on the, on the screen real quick. Oh, I can't bring it up. Ricky. Can you bring up the image real quick? Yeah. So for those listening, it's a photo of Jordy wearing a what do you call that? A tie dye shirt. And Jordy's signature glasses and hat. And Brian Williams uh, put our interview with Fred on his show on the 11th hour. And oh boy, do I miss Brian Williams right now. Oh my goodness. But they put our clip with Fred on the show and the Chiron underneath Jordy looking, uh, I would say very not normal, said (laughs) normal is gone. Like an obnoxious amount of time where yeah. I guess like, why, like, why would Brian Williams do that to me, man? Now, Brian yeah. Williams chose violence. I know. I love it. That's what I love <laughs> about him, frankly, you know, so it's good. Well, you know, I'm happy to help you in your fame. <laughs> <laughs> I've since oh. lost the glasses. No, that's good. Good choice. I, mean, I, I think I think Jordy asks for. I'm it, not one to how... criticize, but geez, man, what the hell. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how Jordy presents. He he yeah. deserves it. He walks into it. I'm old enough to be your father. I'm disappointed. Go ahead. <laughs> that's even worse. You he just gave you the. I'm not mad. I'm just yeah, disappointed. I'm disappointed. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I am all for turning the show into just ragging on Jordy. Try it is. Trust. I'm trying to. We got nothing. Got, time <laughs> <laughs> we've got a lot to discuss the friend we should never go six months without talking to you we gotta jordy's the scheduler so i also blame that on jordy for not My booking god you, dude <laughs> booking <laughs> right, right well I'll, I'll be better about that i'll, I'll ping you guys like, hey what's up what's up hey <laughs> so fred let's get right into what's going on in ukraine obviously your combat experience being an army veteran being in the army for 22 years this is what you tweeted yesterday hey everybody be nice tomorrow to your neighbor neighborhood, GOP employees and influencers. They're going to have to redo their budgets and find out if they can even pay their bills now that Putin money is getting cut off. Maybe we can start a go fuck you fundraiser now. It's parody, but also it's true. Subtle, it's, isn't it's it? Also My true. usual subtle self. Yeah, it's funny. Somebody tried to drive. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a joke. But nonetheless, it, well, you know, it is true. It, there, it, I, I also I was thinking about today, actually, over the weekend is what's really interesting about this situation is, you know, if you remember when the Soviet Union fell, as, as archive, you know, historians got in their archives, you know, we found out some stuff, right? We found out what they've been up to for so many decades. And I sometimes I just can't under, I can't help but wonder what we're going to find in the in the Putin archives once he's gone. Because look, you know, Ruth Ben Gayat's got a great book, Strong Men, and all these authoritarians, they go. This is this is there's a lot of folks who really think this might be sort of a last gasp. You look at Putin, he's, he's walking kind of weird. He doesn't look well. He, you know, it's just, you know, this is a, an attempt to bring back a dead empire, a long, happily dead empire. Um, and so, you know, what we might actually be seeing is a last gasp instead of a, a bold move towards his future. So it'll be interesting to find out what the connections are. I mean, when you see people like Ron Johnson so, so desperately trying to spin things, uh, you know, we know John Neely Kennedy was in, you know, in, in Moscow, you know, 
five years ago. What was going on? What were these people up to? And, and what are the connections? And you see so many of what I would call the influencers, Dinesh D'Souza, who's just openly horny for Putin, which I don't even get. <laughs> I mean, it's like, dude, get a room. This is uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, some of his tweets is like, my God, dude. I mean, holy cow. It's insane. And so this is a man who's invaded a, a democratic neighbor. This is a man who is murdering people. He's, he's sending his own troops to their deaths, completely unprepared. I mean, the, the, just the amateur nature of some of this. I mean, will they win? I don't know. I don't, I can't predict that. No, no soldier. Any, anyone who's telling you they know the end, how this goes uh, is a liar, especially anyone who's been to war. Uh, you, you can, you just don't know how war is going to go. It, things happen. Um, a lot of things get a vote in war. Somebody was comparing the march to Kiev, uh, Kiev uh, to the, the march to Baghdad. Yeah. Well, we also got hit by us. Uh, people forget we got hit by a sandstorm for two days, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I saw that today. I'm like, y'all remember there was weather. And that, and that's a point is weather has a vote, right? I mean, it, it is, there's so many things that get a vote and how a war will go. We would have taken Baghdad in two days, but I had to stop in the desert for three days to, you know, hunker in a hole. And so I, I really do think that we don't have to see how this ends, but we do see what I see this moment we're in is a moment of this, what is a global march to autocracy, which we've seen. And and, and, and a lot of people say, you know, if, if I'd been around in 1930s when, when Hitler was coming in, man, what would I have done? Well, this is your chance. Um, you know, Hitler was a right. huge fan, which caused, we could talk about my new project, the Beer Hall Project at some point. But but it, one of the things we talk about the Beer Hall Project is this, this, this connection to history where Hitler's rise to power, which was mirrored on Mussolini's rise to power, a global movement of fascists um, who were tied together. They they had their supporters here in the United States. Um, how do we not? How do you not see that connection today with the supporters of Putin and his move? So, so I think we're in a really interesting historic shift. You know, history happens. Um, it's not a smooth transition, right? We, we, it's like a, it's like a fault. You're in California, <laughs> you know. There, there's fault lines, and, and and pressure builds, and pressure builds, pressure builds, and then it moves, and there's an earthquake. There's just a part of me who feels like we need to sit back and realize that we're in the middle of an earthquake in history. Um, we're witnesses to real history here. Yeah. And the question, like an earthquake, things fall down. Uh, um, people get hurt. It's, it's dangerous. But in the end, things look different. Right. I mean, I, I live in Missouri now, the Mississippi River. If you look at the border of Missouri and the, its border states, uh, you know, Illinois, it doesn't follow the Mississippi River because there was a huge earthquake in the 1800s that shifted the Mississippi River. <laughs> you know, so parts of Missouri are on the other side of the river. And that's because that's how dynamic a, a shift can be, a tectonic shift. And I, I do feel very strongly that we are witnesses to a tectonic shift uh, and, and, and how we deal with that is going to be significant. But we are also active players in the tectonic shift, unlike weather, unlike some of these unnatural factors. What makes history, I think, different is that these seismic shifts in war, in, in democracy versus authoritarianism are decided often by leadership. Yes. by who we empower. Yes. And so we see now on display this tectonic tension between authoritarianism in Putin and where I get comfort in these very dark times is the EU rallying around itself. Yep. Um, you know, NATO rallying around, um, uh, building global alliances. That's what we see now. And it also feels, Fred, like, Putin's trying to buy his way out of the bluff at this point and right. that he's been exposed 
you you described it as amateur hour in some of your writings recently with yep. Putin and the way he's led. What do you mean by that, that it's amateur hour from a military perspective? Start in two places. One, the military aspect of it. Uh, just the the way they've sent troops in with without enough logistics, without the gas. You know, there, it's a it's a it's an old yarn in the military that you know uh, was it uh, amateurs speak strategy and experts speak logistics or some something like that. <laughs> I always hated it, so I didn't use it much. But that really is the case here, right? Where they've got tanks running out of gas, they've got soldiers without without food and water, enough ammunition to fight, um, literally begging on the community for food and water. You've got. Um, Today, just uh, the last thing I tweeted before we went on the air here was uh, that someone was has pictures of the Russian frequencies for the entire like week. They lost the piece of paper. Okay, you don't put the secret stuff on pieces of paper and put them in your pocket. <laughs> this is like 101, <laughs> right? Hey, you know what? The secret should be on paper, <laughs> you know, and, and they did that. So things like that are so what can only be described as amateur hour as far as professional. And again, we've built up this Russian bear to be this, this we've watched their, their bullshit propaganda videos and, and we've seen our own, you know, Jesse Kelly and these others who are like, oh my God, you're never going to take it. These guys are, these guys are our woke army will never take on the Russians. And we're seeing as much of fucking grandmas and, 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 and women and kids. And, and my favorite one is the MP who got issued an AK 47 or AK 74 was like, I'm going to go back to my apartment and Google how to use this thing. That fucker's shooting Russians right now. <laughs> you know, And, and, and so that you, you've got this, this moment. So on the end, on the basic military tactics, it has been amateur hour. On the other part of it is the, the great mistake that I think that will probably go down in history in a lot of ways. And is fascinating to me is Putin really underestimated. I think he's been listening to the propaganda on our side about Biden, right? Like, like we've been listening to all the propaganda about Russian military. I think he's been listening to the propaganda about Biden being, Oh, Mr. Dementia. He doesn't have the power. My God, fellas, if you don't, uh, I've known I've been very fortunate to have worked with Vice or excuse me, President Biden way back when he was a senator, Biden. And frankly, uh, the right likes to drag out tweets from 2012 where I kind of bash the guy <laughs> because I was Republican. And two, his foreign policy, like he would come to Iraq and say, we should split into three countries. Like, well, that's cool, but it's sort of a sovereign country. Uh, <laughs> but what is Biden? Biden's a lifetime senator. What do senators do? They build, they're all about coalitions and finding you know, ways to work together. You couldn't have created a situation, an international situation, more tailor-made for the skill set that Mr. Biden brings to the table, which is working in a coalition, leading, leading them to group ideas. And then all the things he's doing behind the quiet diplomacy behind the scenes, he's not going to be doing press conference talking about all the amazing things he did. He's going to be working. He's working at it. That's what senators do. They go into a smoky room in the old days, right? And they come out with answers. And that we're seeing. But then you reverse the other side of that is Zelensky, completely misread. Everyone misread Zelensky. Zelensky's an actor. And he's stepping up to the moment. He is calling the EU up. Look at the way he's using tweet tweets. I mean, it's just brilliant. I, I just got off the phone with Japan. Thank you. You know, I just got off the phone with the president of Turkey. We appreciate you closing the, 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 the Black Sea to Russian worship. He's doing a brilliant job and he's forcing the EU's hand. You've got Biden over on one side saying, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. Here's America's power. We're cutting them off here. But then you got Zelensky holding their feet to the fire, right? <laughs> saying, fellas, this is, this is Europe. This is the first fight. Now, the choice we always make in these these things is: Will Putin be? Will Ukraine be where um, Putin starts his domination of his empire, or will it end his empire? I think Zelensky has done a brilliant job of being a sort of a bookend. You got these bookends of Biden and Zelensky with their very very different styles, um, pressuring the EU in the middle. 
And uh, it's it's been it's been wondrous to watch. I again, I mean, Putin may win. I mean, it, it, you can't discount sheer overwhelming firepower, right? I mean, that's the, in the end, the, the the Russian and then before then the Soviet battle technique was just overwhelming bomb the shit out of stuff until they submit, right? That is, they don't do finesse. We are a finesse type army, <laughs> right? The Russians are, don't do finesse. They do fucking hammers. And so you can't discount the effect of a hammer, but by the same token, what we've seen is um, a very ineffective uh, a strategy uh, unfold. Fred, do you think Putin also miscalculated? I, I know you, you brought up Zelensky's tweets. Do you think Putin miscalculated on the information war, so to speak? I mean, they've had such a a presence, uh, you know, in our elections in the ability yeah. to spread propaganda through digital means. Yeah. And yeah. now it seems when you see Zelensky's tweets, when you see yeah. the way all social media is <laughs> reacting to this, yeah. uh, public opinion has shifted incredibly yep. in the Ukrainians favor. And I think it's made a big impact on just the war on the ground. Aren't you guys digging how social media has become a force for the good guys? I mean, how many years have we dealt with the misinformation, disinformation that social media has sort of become a pariah in the sense of you can't trust what you read? You know, all the number 10, you know, you, there's that daily readout of what are the top 10 posts on Facebook. It's always damn bingo bongo and fucking Dinesh D'Souza. <laughs> all right. It, it's, it's a nightmare. But now what you're seeing is social media being used for the good guys, you know, that sold my, one of my favorite videos is a soldier who, who, you know, ties, you know, screwing on the freaking silencer, you know, we're going to kill you in the night. You hear that sound? <laughs> the bush? That's us. You know, and it's like, Oh, Fuck, this is brilliant use. And, and the reason it's so effective is because it is a democracy. It is an open where everybody has a phone in that country and everybody can put on YouTube and everybody can get on. Whereas you're fighting guys who have done a, done have worked their asses off to restrict their people's access to information restrict their soldiers uh, as much as they can so they're being brilliantly screwed with by some very smart um, people who are very clever in their way not just Zelensky, but is but the average ukrainian and, and believe me if you don't think that has effect let me tell you that has an effect on soldiers i mean i've been one of those guys i've 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 unfortunately been on the on the on the, uh, the the invading side of this equation twice, and and I and and it's a very different thing. It's honestly, guys, if we had had the kind of public support for Saddam um, that Zelensky has in Ukraine, I don't, you know, those thunder runs we did in Baghdad never would have worked. Um, mm -hmm. The fact is that he was a hated dictator, and people were glad to see him go, so they let us do our thing. But if we'd had a collective response in Iraq, like they are having in, in Ukraine, I can't help no but doubt. wonder how, how difficult my life would have been. Um, so, but it's great. I mean, I'm just, I was actually talking to a friend about it. You're like, I just love the fact we're seeing actual social media used in a very positive way to just absolutely dominate the information space. And it's in much of it organically, um, which yeah. has also been the cool part. And that's, I got to tell you, doctrine writers in the military are Spinning right now. I mean, Fort Leavenworth is where the army has where they write their doctrine. I can't imagine what's going on at Fort Leavenworth right now with them going, "Holy shit, throw the books out, we start over again." You know, be, how do you harness that? I mean, as 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 a as a democracy ourselves, how do you? We've always worried that our freedom of information, our freedom of communication, our freedom of speech would actually hurt us in a lot of ways, right? Because you can also get the bad stuff. But what we're seeing in the same sense is that that freedom has been a very, very powerful tool when used effectively by the defenders. I, I got to tell you, I think people are going to be examining this war for a long time to see how effective that's been. Yeah, I think all the critics who have said to groups that you're affiliated with and our group who have said <laughs> the internet has no bearing on the real world. I think they all have egg yeah. on their face at, at this moment in time. <laughs> oh, you, you, so true, right? That's so true. Oh my gosh. But I, I think one of the disheartening things is 
you know, when you look at our country, when you look at the alliances, I guess, that are that are being formed and you see Russia, you see Belarus, uh, you see Iran and you see much of the Republican Party siding with them. And then it's the yep. rest of the free world um, basically up against them. You know, it used to be crises, even with the Iraq war, you know, then yep. there were, of course, a lot a big opposition to that war. But yep. It used to be in times of crisis, America would would come together in, in rally solidarity. Flag, right? Rally exactly. around the flag, we used to call it. And right now, what we're seeing is is the opposite. I mean, you right. have the official Republican Party tweeting out anti Biden sentiment constantly, yep. calling yep. Biden a failure, calling NATO a failure. Can anything unite us at this point? Is there anything extreme enough to unite this country? Um, that sadly, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I question it myself. You're right. Um, but I do know this. Look how ineffective they're being. I mean, in, in a lot of, and I, everybody's going to want to do flash polls and there's, there's going to be so many bullshit polls and like, oh, yeah, the <laughs> negative rate. I hate those. But what I do know is the one thing I've always said, the one that's made me very, I think, I think what's made me successful in business, even the military, and then now as, as a political consultant is I do have a pretty damn good sense of people, right? I have a good sense for the sentiment. And, and I've always had, a, I'm always able to figure out the vibe of being an organization or a country. And what I sense right now is a lot of people on the wrong side of history. And as you see the Republicans with these flailing attempts to, oh, Biden's incompetent. Really? You just built a giant. I mean, they're, they're, the, the, what you're seeing is this gap widening. They could get away with it for a long time with saying, oh, he, look, he's dementia. They, they, but the gap is widening between reality and the lies they're spinning. And even the most jaded person can see that Biden's doing a brilliant job, that, that we are resisting. We've done Brutal. I mean, I was like, oh, well, sanctions won't work. I don't know. Ask the Russian Central Bank about that right now, because yeah. guess what? Their fucking credit cards aren't going through at the moment. <laughs> OK, sanctions can damn sure make life hard. I mean, all of a sudden you're cut off from the international world. One day you're just you're flying off to Saint-Tropez because it's warm that day. The next day you came and fly through the fucking airspace of Europe. If you don't think that has an effect, holy shit, have I got bad news for you. So so they're so far on the wrong side of the moment that's what you're seeing. And, and I think you saw that with, with everything. You see that with Margie Tara Green, her idiocy of going to that white nationals bullshit she went to this week. But look at the desperation when she was trying to explain it. Look at Ron Johnson. Just Look at Tom Cotton looking like a fucking idiot. <laughs> okay, pardon my language. You know, with Joe Stephanopoulos yesterday. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who never shuts up about other people. And he's just, oh, I'm not here to talk about our politicians. Really, Tom? Really? <laughs> and I got, and I and I love the fact that Stephanopoulos did what exactly he should have done. Yeah. He held his feet to the fire for like five super uncomfortable minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and you see it at CPAC. Look at these guys. Bob Costas is at CPAC. Make, Axios is doing this thing where they're just boxes there, just making these guys who just never get questioned, question. And so I do have a sense taking my finger, stick in the air. There's a shift in the wind and we may not see the polls the minute it may right. not show up, but if you don't feel the shift in momentum, that's occurred, you know, it's like in a football game, right? You can, you yeah. know, when it happens, that, that interception, somebody just threw a fucking long pick six. <laughs> okay. And, and, and the momentum, they may, we may still be down right by six or 10, but all of a sudden the initiative shifted to an anti autocracy shift that the, the toleration of authoritarianism and the March, I, I use this term about the March of authoritarianism. I don't know. I think they stumbled. And, and, and yeah. for me, it's been a long fight. You guys and I, you guys have been in the fight as long as I have, longer uh, in a lot of ways, maybe, you know, in different ways, in different capacities, obviously. Um, 
but even you guys, I, I guarantee you, you kind of feel it, right? That this, that yeah. what has been a steady rise, even with losing the election, there was, it seemed like nothing, they, they attacked our capital, nothing slowed them down. I got to tell you, I feel like they stumbled. And for the first time, our enemies have stumbled and they're on the wrong side. So I've got this weird feeling. I don't know what it is. It's like optimism. I've never had it in so long. <laughs> what is this? What is this? What is this strange optimism? I feel uh, it'll go away. But, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a pessimist. I've been accused uh, possibly. Um, but I have this weird fucking streak of optimism that I can't get rid of. And, and I've had to try to get rid of it. But but there is I do have some optimism at the moment. I do believe that for the first time in many years, the the march of autocracy tripped on their fucking ass and 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 i think they skin their they skin their shins and if we do it right if the world does it right we can kick their ass to the curb and they're gonna they're gonna, they're gonna fucking fall flat in their face because it takes a coordinated effort and, and that starts here and that's kind of like why i started the beer hall project because because i tell people all the time saying what can i do well, what can you do go to your city council when's the last time you went to a city council meeting When's the last time you went to a school board meeting? Because that shit's being taken over right here in America by a lot of nutters, okay? QAnon freaks and, and, and right-wing nut jobs. A, a good friend of mine, a guy who, Gary Rower, I'll mention him by name. He's a great guy. Gary's a, a former, he's a pop adult, just retired. And Gary took over the mayor's race in Peachtree City, Georgia, when I got mobilized by the army and had to quit running for mayor in 2001. And Gary just texted me, he goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. I just made, I'm on the election board of Fayette County, Georgia. I'm like, hell yes. Okay, he nice. stepped up. He stepped up. What can I I do. He said, I can go on the election board. Does that sound glamorous? It, it, it isn't, but like, like who's, who said it was a Stalin said, it doesn't matter in what the votes are. It matters who counts them. And so our enemies, Trump. That. Trump said that too. <laughs> right. So, so I tell people all the time, the fight for a fight against autocracy and authoritarianism is happening right here in your County. You may not believe it, but it's happening in your County. Uh, and so I'm excited. I mean, it's weird for me to be optimistic, but uh, why not? We'll try it. See how it goes. Fred is glowing. I am. I, am. <laughs> I, I, I agree, though. It, it certainly feels like we're at, at an inflection point in history. Yes. And after this authoritarian movement has built and festered over the past few years, it finally feels like we're at a defining moment for the world. But, you know, and, and you mentioned this idea that the Republican Party is not living in reality. When you look at the Republican Party, a lot of them believe that Dr. Fauci is a dictator. Right. That Justin Trudeau is a dictator, that Canada right. should be invaded, but that right. Vladimir Putin is a peacekeeper protecting his borders. So right. how how do you even deal yep. with a party that is so just living on another planet? Pile on. I mean, I think that's the thing. Think about back to military, right? So where is Russia failing? Um, the, the, they're not reinforcing success there, and they're not reinforcing. You're not supposed to reinforce failure, right? And so we have some. We have a crack, right? The, the trick now is exploit it, right? Now we now we pour through the gap. This is what we should be doing. This is what the forces for good should be doing. We take advantage of this moment to pile on. It's it, I, that's why some, somebody gave me shit because I was complimenting Jennifer Griffin on Fox News. Jennifer is doing the Lord's work on Fox News right now, and I've known I've worked with Jennifer. We, we were never very close, but I've worked there on the professional capacity since probably 2005. And I was in Iraq the first time as a, as a spokesman for General Petraeus and General Dempsey. And, and Jennifer's always been a pro. She was always out of whack at Fox News. Now you see her in real time telling Doug McGregor he's full of shit because Doug McGregor is completely full of shit. And, and, and anybody can say anybody who's watching TV and, and people are going on TV saying, oh, they should surrender is clearly out of there is a liar. So I think in the war of, of hearts and minds in America, those who in the center who believe in freedom, they, they say they do because I do believe there are people on the right who just believe in freedom. And, and they've, they've been they've been tortured into believing that the Democrats aren't. Uh, oh, the left are all communists. Are they? Because, you know, a former communist just invaded a democracy and, and your party is picking his side. 
Uh, and so that if we cannot figure out, and this is where our colleagues on the Democratic side must step up, is how do you exploit that gap and pile on? How do you aggressively message? So my colleague, uh, I, I work with a, a, a candidate, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and he's been messaging very hard against his opponents very directly and, and saying, look, we see you, we know what you're doing. This is, and I think if we see some Democratic opponents, we see the party step out and say, look, here's your bullshit. We're calling you on it. Not be nice, not play nice. One of the things I tell a lot of my clients uh, and, and a lot of my partners and, and the work, the groups I work with is what we really need. And this is a speech I've been given a lot. I've been speaking. I've been had the good fortune to speak here in Missouri to the Democratic Party here in Missouri. They've been very generous inviting me to come speak to their groups. And what I keep telling them is, you know, you guys watch uh, Ted Lasso, right? Tell me you watch yeah, Ted Lasso. Oh, oh, I'd be so disappointed you asked. All of it, right? So what we're seeing, what we need to see more of, and, and this is where you guys, this is where we all come in. Uh, us and my former organization, Linker Project, and now Beer Hall Project. Everybody needs a Jamie Tart. You know, one of the big themes, remember in season two, right, was that you know, Roy Kent was like, you, you, made, him a, you made him a team player. <laughs> like, okay, I'm confused. What do you mean? He goes, because you know why? Every team needs that one guy who's, ready to, who's willing to take the yellow. Right. He's get he's ready to take the red card. He was going to be the, the bad guy and the good guy team. Right. You, you've got to have that. I think too often the Democratic Party is all all good guys. Well, you know, look at the look at our policies. We're fucking OK. And, and then when they do when they do have bad guys, they're fucking attacking each other. <laughs> Allow me to, you know, which I won't elaborate on. But why do we have our own party offering a counter message to the State of the Union? I mean, the idea that a member of the Democratic Party is going to do a counter State of the Union to the president of their party is fucking mind-boggling. <laughs> okay, okay, so you're on the wrong team, right? So, so what we do need in our Democratic Party is is people who are willing to take the yellow. Now we've been accused of that, right? Midas Touch and I think Lincoln Project and Beer. You know, I mean, people come after Beer Hall because Beer Hall Project is very direct about our messaging about history. Um, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I, it was uncomfortable for me at first because I've always tried to be the good guy. I was in the army. I was, you know, but. Every team needs someone who's willing to do the hard things, right? And I think this is our moment. The moment we now, now we need, we need to have more people on our democratic side and, 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 and this, the forces of democracy to say, all right, these are bad people. They're, we can call them that. We don't have to be nice. This is evil. John Kennedy spending July 4th in Russia and now having not shit to say barely about what's going on is a tell. Ron Johnson's efforts to rewrite history and say that Biden is the reason the Ukraine's we are, you know, the, the, is, is, is ridiculous. We, we can see, we have pictures, man. <laughs> you know, and then we need to hit him with that, you know, and, and we need to pummel. I mean, and, and somebody said in their day, you know, what do we do? We, we hang this around them like an anchor. My new organization, Beer Hall Project has, our logo is Josh F and Holly, right? Doing his salute. I did a black very intimidating silhouette of Josh Hawley's picture on January 6th. And, and people say, well, you're crazy. It's like, it looks like you're glorifying. No, I'm hanging that shit around his neck. Oh yeah. Josh Hawley will never walk away from the fact that he saluted the people who marched to our Capitol mm -hmm. and attacked our Capitol. He tried to spin it after we came out, you know, he did this coffee mug thing where, it, and it went like shit for him. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sorry, dude, you, you saluted insurrectionist and, and, and trying to explain, well, they were peaceful when I saluted them. Yeah. But then they went, then they went to violent. That's weird. <laughs> no matter what explanation he comes up with, Josh Hawley detoured his route to work so he could walk in front of a, an angry crowd and salute them. And I'm never going to let him forget that. Right. And so I think that's what we need to do across the board. Every candidate who's running against a seditionist needs to hold it around their neck. And every one of them needs to be held accountable for their vote to support Trump. And so, I don't know, I, I guess I'm an aggressive kind of, 
but again, it starts <laughs> at the local level and it goes all the way to the national level. You're spot on. Depending on the day, I think it's either Brett or Ben who are the Jamie Tart of Midas Touch. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, uh, uh, we've been talking about throughout this interview, Beer Hall Project. You co-founded yeah. it. Can you tell us more about it more specifically? Yeah, I'm really excited. to get involved? It, it seems like an incredible organization. Classic Wellman story. So I moved to Missouri for a, a beautiful woman, <laughs> back to my home state. And I, I meet some incredible people here and a couple of guys who are uh, alumni of some local campaigns come to me and say, hey, we want to do, you know, we're, we're frustrated by the erasure of January 6th, the way that our Republican colleagues have managed to almost make it, oh, it was just a peaceful march, right? It was just tourists, right? And, and then and then really for me as a, as a student of history of it, having gone to the military academy and, and you know, it is what it is, um, what really is significant about the Beer Hall Putsch of 1923 uh, is that it was after, you know, Hitler failed his Beer Hall, his famous Beer Hall Putsch in Munich. He tried to seize the government of Bavaria, then rally them to march to Berlin to take power as Mussolini had done just months before in Italy, because he was huge. He was a huge Mussolini fan. I mean, if you don't know that, he was he was like a fanboy of Mussolini, which is reminiscent of somebody. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. what was interesting, though, is he lost. He failed. And. He was put briefly in jail. He had a, had a kangaroo court that was just made him more famous. Then he actually had like a VIP jail where he wrote Mein Kampf. But Hitler made a, a strategic decision while in jail that violence was not his path to power, that he would manipulate the very weak levers of power in the Weimar Republic and take power through the democratic process. Ten years later, he's chancellor. A month later is the Reichstag fire. A month later is the enabling acts that make him a dictator. And we know how what happens after that. So we have this historic precedent of the march of authoritarianism from a, 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 what the problem is so many people look at the January 6th as like the nadir or the, the high point, if you will, just like the invasion of, a, this is my point with the invasion of, of Ukraine. This is, this is the worst thing. Well, what actually is, it can actually be simply a milestone. And in many ways, the Reichstag, people, the Reichstag, or excuse me, the, uh, the beer hall push was not uh, it was it was just the start, right? And so what we're trying to say, so we made a very conscious decision to create this organization that would focus on the erasure of January 6th, and even more importantly, the efforts since to turn our democracy to allow the Republicans to take power without having to attack the Capitol next time, right? And so, and that is voting rights. That's ridiculous laws. That is you know, restrictions on who we can, you know, what we can teach. All those things are right out of the authoritarian playbook, and they're occurring. Right, the state and local level, of course. Right. So, my colleague Cyrus Schick, my co founder, is very focused on the data. So, we kind of see ourselves as like the OSS from World War II, which is kind of a weird analogy, but here we are. <laughs> if you know that, again, here's Mr. Fucking History again. Um, kind of because I'm so fucking old, I'm almost historic myself. <laughs> but, uh, the OSS was famous, this precursor to the CIA. And that what they did was they were the ones who supported the insurgents and the, and the resistance forces in Europe. They provided them training. They provided them intelligence. They provided them weapons and, you know, and, and supported their efforts without necessarily doing the fight themselves. So in many ways, what we see is those who are fighting for our democracy are doing it out in the field. They're doing it in Missouri. They're doing it in Texas. And, and so how do we create an organization that can empower them better? There's a lot of like, you guys are great. What you're doing is great. What Lincoln Project is doing great but we don't need another one of those <laughs> and fr- frankly i can never do the videos you guys do because again back to that whole oldest shit thing and so <laughs> you know so you know let's <laughs> see what it is but i can help people succeed so my colleague cyrus is going to lead our efforts we're going to do the research we're going to find out why are so many voters or so many american citizens completely disconnected from our democratic process there's estimates as high as 27 percent of americans simply don't even know what the hell's going on and we talk a lot in politics about right left independent there's also this 
category we keep forgetting, which is the I don't fucking know what I am category, right? They're just not even engaged. There's the spectrum of politics and there's like a quarter of American people who aren't even on the damn spectrum. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're completely, yeah, they're checked out. And by the way, that is the difference between, I mean, when you're winning elections by two or 3%, if 27% of Americans are just checked the fuck out, we need to do work really hard to figure out to check them back in, right? And, and how do we do that? So we're hoping to do to raise the money and do the work to do that research, focus groups, polling, other people's data, put it together, you know, kind of like, you know, like, so, so that's a big, that's the intelligence part. The other part is the training part. You know what? They wrote these shitty laws in Georgia and Iowa and Texas. Well, there's got to be a way around those. I mean, if they say you can't drive a bus to uh, you can't bus people to the polls, well, maybe you can use a van. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I'd Get love creative. nothing more. <laughs> right. I'd love nothing more to hire some lawyers who just go through these laws line by line and say, well, here's a huge freaking hole. Um, let's exploit that. I, and I would love to see the, the Republicans have to go back in session and try to close the loopholes they created in their own evil laws. So we really want to go on the offensive. But again, a lot of this is about arming those who are in the fight to do, do the work and, and to hold them accountable. At the same time, we'll be educating people. We'll, we'll be doing original reporting. We'll be doing the original research to say, here's the historic analogy. You, you can see it. This is, there's a playbook. People have written books literally called the, the authoritarian playbook about how obvious through the last hundred years, especially those movements have been. And Trump is one of them. If you look at Ruth Ben-Gad's book, which is like my Bible, I should have it to hear, you know, <laughs> Trump's in there for a reason. Okay. And so it's up to us to stop it. So the beer halls are really unique. And again, we're, we're obviously no shit in your face about the historic analogy. It was kind of funny when it first came out, people, I think Fox News tried to do a hit on us saying, oh, it's anti-Semitic. And ADL's like, nah, we're good. <laughs> you know, I was like, no, nah, yeah. nah, it's, it's, it's not anti-Semitic, you know? just like Putin is trying to denazify Ukraine. Right. Exactly. It, this is a historic analogy of a because I'm and, and and I think the I gotta say, you know, it was, it was the it was Holocaust Remembrance Day last month. Yeah, this month. And the Auschwitz Museum did a wonderful job. And they said, you know, we here at Auschwitz, you know, we focus on the end of essentially the end of the spectrum of what Hitler and the Nazis did, which is the last thing, right? The the gassing and the the the, the work camps and the, the murder. But they pointed out it started way back before that with the othering, with the violence in the streets, with the, you know, people aren't good enough to be Germans. And, and, and it, that's the Holocaust is the end point of what had been a long process of splitting Germans against each other, splitting people against each other. And, and, and look, you can see right now, Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke at a white nationalist conference. Okay, Paul Gosar is there. You, you see the Proud Boys causing violence. How are the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers any different than the black, the black shirts in Italy, the squatteristas, or, or the SA, causing violence in the street, fighting with the Bolsheviks? Instead of fighting Bolsheviks like the, the fascists did, they're fighting Antifa. <laughs> it's the same thing. They want to create chaos so that we overreact to it. And so I, I got to tell you that the history, if you, if you just look, it's just slaps you in the freaking face so much. So, so anyway, long answer as always for you guys. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but, but again, I think, I think what's unique about Beer Hall and what we're doing is really unique. And I, I, I'm, I'm really happy. We had a great start. Edward Norton was kind enough to come in and, and, and narrate our first video for us. Again, I'm not a video guy, but luckily Jay Toscano is. <laughs> and uh, I, luckily I know smart people uh, and, and it really made an impact and, and I'm hoping to get more and hopefully people pay attention. And again, we, we see ourselves 
just like when, when you and I partnered before, when I was with my former organization, we're part of a coalition and a good coalition brings different tools to the fight. And, and, and you guys are good at what you do. And my former organization is good at what they do. So as we looked at the spectrum of opportunity, we saw an opportunity to come in and say, Hey, you know what, let's have an organization that's literally arming people at street level to resist. And thank you, Ukrainians. You gave me a great example of let's give them the AK 47s. Let's give them the ammo. Let's give them the recipe for a Molotov cocktail. But what it ends up being is taking over election boards with the good people who care about our country, taking over city council with the people who care about our country and resisting these forces of authoritarianism that are occurring right here in America. Fred Wellman, thank you so much for joining us on the Midas Touch Project. You can check out Fred Wellman's <laughs> Midas Touch <personal> Project. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're all fucking projects in your now. Head. Fred's in your head, man. <laughs> I, 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 I got you. Look, I, I, my next thing will not have project in the name, I swear to God. <laughs> we are hereby announcing a merger between I the- fucking love it. Great. <laughs> thank you for joining the Midas Touch Project, the Midas Touch Podcast Project with Beer Hall Project co-founder. I love it. Fred Wellman. Uh, you would thought that I said something really horrible there. I mean, no, it's great. I fucking love it. Man. It's been news. I mean, Fox is going to go crazy. Beerhallproject.com. Check out what we're doing. I, again, I'd love your support. I'm not going to lie. I could use some donations. So research costs money, but uh, but we're going to get there. And I'm really, I just can't thank you guys enough. And again, I, and, and you don't get this enough. I just want to thank you guys. Um, you know, you've been really big fighters in this 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 anti-democratic fight we're in and and fighting for the right reasons and and you've put up some bullshit yourselves uh you've been great partners to me uh both before my you know my, my this job and in my previous job and i don't think it's get said enough how much i personally thank you for gosh for what you do and what you continue to do for our democracy so thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your 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 team so keep up the good work and and don't let the don't let the haters get to you Thanks, Fred. The feeling is mutual and uh, we so appreciate all of your support and we will continue working with you and look forward to working with the Beer Hall Project. Fred Wellman, co-founder of the Beer Hall Project. Thank you so much for joining us. So great having Fred Wellman on. I called us the Midas Touch Project instead of the Midas Touch Podcast just giving fodder to all the conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Here is that there. I had the name of his new organization, Beer Hall Project, in front of me. So I conflated the Midas Touch podcast with the Beer Hall Project. But um, I also have a deposition coming up, unfortunately, or fortunately for my clients, or unfortunately for the pot, I have to run and actually take a deposition because it is true, as I say, that I am a still a practicing. <laughs> Still a practicing lawyer while I do the we gotta podcast. We gotta, fi- we gotta fix that then. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe the suits allow this. But uh, but in speaking about the you know the law and legal issues, I do want to talk about Biden's nomination for the Supreme Court. Ketanji Brown Jackson. She's uh, an incredibly qualified individual for this Supreme Court uh, position. Uh, she was previously in a bipartisan fashion, um, nominated and confirmed for the United States uh, Circuit Court in D.C. Prior to that, she was a district court judge. So she was a trial court level judge at the district judge. She was a D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal judge confirmed with bipartisan support, and she's now nominated for the Supreme Court. Her background as well, um, in addition to being the editor of the Harvard Law Review and being top of her class, she was a public defender. And so she actually tried cases and has intimate experience at all levels. I cannot think of and she'd a she'd be more- the first public defender on the Supreme Court, yeah? 
Yeah, I cannot think of anyone more qualified for this position. And even during these times where we talk about what's going on in foreign policy and and, and war, um, we have Biden doing the hard work here on the domestic front. Brett and Jordy and our listeners, the pod's in great hands. Um, I do. You have to talk more about Marjorie Taylor Greene, though, when I'm gone. And I know that's the secret sauce of Jordy, but I'm going to sign on to my <laughs> deposition right now. Brett Good and luck. Jordy. Go, go get them, Ben. I don't know how depositions go, but you got this. <laughs> Depose them. Depose <laughs> those jerks. I'll let you take it from here. <laughs> All right. See you, Ben. Good luck with your deposition. And before we discuss more about Marjorie Taylor Greene and her white nationalist conference, let's call it what it is, a Nazi conference. It was it was a Nazi rally that she attended and participated in. Let's first talk about our incredible sponsor that I love so much. Jordy, you know who's coming up? Magic Spoon. And I bet they're going to just love that segue. <laughs> Let's get in there. You know, I was thinking about that as I said it, but (laughs) let me me tell you about Magic Spoon because it's the new year and Magic Spoon is perfect for meeting your goals, whether it's eating healthier or saving more time in your morning routine. Magic Spoon has been amazing for my morning routine because in the morning I am just trying to get up and get to work as quickly as possible. I try to get a workout in and Magic Spoon allows me to get a meal, get the nutrients that I need and have something delicious to start my day because growing up, I'm going to be honest with you, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but I had to give it up because you realize it's full of sugar and junk and things you really shouldn't eat. And when we're all trying to eat better, you don't want a boring breakfast, but healthy Mm -hmm. breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Magic Spoon has all those amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. And it's amazing as a midnight snack as well. So when I've been trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, and unhealthy food, I I realized I basically can't eat anything, but Magic Spoon is perfect. And I'll tell you why. Here are the numbers. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's only 140 calories a serving, and it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. You can build your own box. They have available flavors to build your very own custom bundle, including cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. One of my favorite combinations when I get my bundle is I do a little bit of the peanut butter, a little bit of the chocolate, make like a peanut butter cup cereal. That's a little pro move right there for the listeners. I highly recommend you try that little- Really hungry. That's a life hack right now. So go do it right now. Go to magicspoon.com slash Midas and grab a custom bundle of cereal and start your new year off right. And be sure to use our promo code Midas, that's M-E-I-D-A-S at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Midas and use that code Midas to save five dollars off let's also talk about masterworks quickly let's take a break from the news for just a nanosecond just one nanosecond just a nanosecond just stick with us because breaking news doesn't have to be about the latest court decisions drama on capitol hill or web three i don't even know that what's web three i don't even know in fact here's some tech news you may have missed and it has to do with get this fine art a picasso painting sold for over a hundred million dollars at auction last year marking a 1400 percent increase from its original price a one thousand and four 
400% increase, which Dude. is shocking. But when you learn that the blue chip art price appreciation has outpaced the S&P 500 for over two decades, and that the Wall Street Journal deemed that the art market was one of the hottest on earth, you could see why it doesn't take a computer scientist or someone who knows what Web3 is, I truthfully don't even know what that is, to see that blue chip artwork might be one of the smartest investments you can make in 2022. And thanks to Masterworks, you yourself can now invest in blue chip artwork without having a Bezos-sized bank account. They're the fintech unicorn democratizing the art market, enabling you to add fine art to your portfolio without being a millionaire. I'm talking about paintings by Banksy, Basquiat, Picasso, and more. Don't get nipped in the bud by Bitcoin when you could be investing in works by iconic artists like these. And Midas Touch listeners can receive priority access to their newest offerings. So get started at masterworks.art slash Midas. Again, that's masterwork.art, A-R-T slash Midas. And see important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimers. Jordy, Jordy, Jordy. Marjorie uh, Taylor Green. So Marjorie Taylor Green attended a conference this weekend. And I need to uh, apologize to our listeners before we get into this, because I remember stating pretty clearly that we would never on this podcast, ever on this podcast, talk about Nick Fuentes again. But you just can't ignore this one. You just Well, here's the thing, Jordy. A lot of people try to act like, and a lot of Republicans try to act like, oh, Nick Fuentes, he's he's just a crazy character. He's just this outlandish guy who says crazy things. He doesn't represent the beliefs of the Republican Party. He's just some fringe actor. But Nick Fuentes hosted an event this week alongside CPAC. It wasn't a CPAC event, but it was near CPAC where CPAC was going on. And he actually hosted multiple members of Congress, Republican members of Congress at this event. And the event was a white nationalist event, (laughs) Nazi event. Let's be real about what it was. A big auditorium. Yeah, big auditorium, big crowd. And Nick Fuentes, who denies the Holocaust exists. That's one of his main beliefs. If you remember from our podcast a few months ago, Fuentes is the guy we played the clip where he goes, I'm going to give the most anti-Semitic, the most racist, the most hateful speech on the planet. And so he gives this speech. And in this speech, I don't even know if we have to play it. I'm sick of hearing the guy's voice, to be honest. But Nick Fuentes basically said, you know, let's give a round of applause for Russia, everybody. Let's give a round of applause. And the crowd claps, applauds, goes wild. Not only that, they start breaking out into a chant. Putin, Putin. That's what happened. And this happened before. Let's be clear. This happened before Marjorie Taylor Greene went up to speak. You had her there. You had Wendy Rogers there. You had Paul Gosar there. You know, all the- What a crew. You had former Congressman Steve King of Iowa there. Just a disgusting, disgraceful Nazi event. This is the Republican Party. This is what they believe. And they could distance themselves all they want. But when you have three members of your party attending a Nazi rally- and you don't name them and shame them and expel them from your party, you are complicit in the fact that you have a Nazi party. You know what happens, Jordy, if you're at a table, Jordy, if you're at a table, you're at an event, okay? Yeah. And 10 people around you are Nazis and you're sitting there. You know what that makes you? Doesn't make me a Nazi. Yeah, it makes you it makes you a Nazi. And so unfortunately, that's what we're seeing with the Republican Party. And sure, you know, it, it received criticism from other Republicans. And Liz Cheney spoke at forcefully and Romney spoke at forcefully um, as, we, as we played his clip earlier in the show. 
But the fact is this happened. And when confronted about it, Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't even have a response. She didn't even know what to do at that point. She looked flustered. She tried to filibuster her answer. She tried to say that, oh, I didn't know what the event was. I didn't know it was a white nationalist event. I just loved the youth. I just wanted to get my message to the youth. Well, first off, that's just a complete and total lie. If you Nazi youth. Yeah, the Nazis, it's a good point. So there's no backtracking. And this is part of the things, you know, as we go through all the list of everything that we've been speaking about this episode about Republicans, the way they bow down to Putin, the way they attend white nationalist rallies, the way they attend these Nazi events with people who are actively denying the Holocaust, these events and praising Putin and praising authoritarianism. I mean, this is a real problem. This is a real scourge. And I just want to let you know that you have a large chunk of people who are just completely politically disengaged. They don't know that this is going on. They see the parties as two sides of the same coin. They go, oh, Republicans, oh, Democrats, oh, it's all, it's all the same. They're all corrupt. They're all this, they're all that. It's the lesser of two evils. So that's where you come in. You know, As we're seeing with this messaging war to, to bring the show home, the messaging war starts with you. You know, it starts with you going out there, taking the learnings that you have from this podcast, taking the learnings that you have from social media, from watching the news, from being well-read, from being politically active and going to your neighbors and going to your mother, your father, your brother, your cousin, and having real conversations with them about what's actually happening with them in America and explaining to them why this moment in time is so important for them to get politically engaged. Because believe me, you could start a movement. Your ripple could start a wave of democracy, a blue wave of democracy that goes through the United States of America. It begins with you. Mm -hmm. So don't look to the pundits. Don't look to the politicians to do the work for you. Don't look to the DNC. Don't look to these organizations to do the work for you. Everybody needs to step up. You need to step up. We need to step up. This is an inflection point, as Fred Wellman said, for the heart and soul of democracy, not only in the United States, but as we're seeing around the world. Now is the time. Let's all save democracy together. And before we go, I also want to tell you about another show. We've been talking about some of our favorite podcasts recently. There's been an excellent podcast that I've been listening to because I've been watching John. Have you watched John Heilman on MSNBC? Dude, he is unbelievable. He's been absolutely crushing it. And I realized he had a podcast and I've been like obsessed with this podcast now. His podcast is called Hell and High Water. It's hosted by John Heilman, who's just one of the most prolific journalists out there at this point in the country. And and you see him. If you're watching MSNBC, you see John. His insight is impeccable. He was on the Midas Touch podcast a couple months ago, probably at this point. I have no sense of time, but, <laughs> but I recommend you listen to our episode with John Heilman on the Midas Touch podcast. He's also the host of The Circus on Showtime, which is one of the most incredible political shows of all time, like takes you in the weeds of political campaigns in a way I've never seen before. It's a brilliant, brilliant show. On Helen Highwater, John dissects our tumultuous times with deep thinkers from the world of politics, policy, and culture. People like Brian Cox, aka Logan Roy from Succession, you know him. Fuck off. <laughs> the best. Oh my goodness. Former Brian COVID advisor, Andy Slavitt, journalist Ann Applebaum, and LA mayoral candidate representative Karen Bass. So if you like in-depth conversations that get to the heart of the apocalyptic moment we are still living through, and that is a good way to put it, then Hell and High Water is the podcast for you. So make sure to subscribe to Hell and High Water wherever you get your podcast. Jordy, good episode today, huh? What do you really think? Really good, really heavy episode. Heavy episode, but really, really, really important episode. I think we did a great job. Um, loved our guest. Fred was absolutely amazing. 
I do. I, I have a story that wouldn't fly if Ben was typically on the show. To, All to right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Levity. Um, so I've been going food. This has nothing to do with politics. So if you think you're getting any more political information, you could just turn the show off right now. But I have no idea where you're going. A with very, this. I'm, a little, I'm, a, I'm a little concerned, but proceed. Honestly, I, I am still. So the reason why I, I wasn't talking so much in this particular episode was because over the last 48 hours, I had something very interesting and scary happen. Mello, my puppy, ate a rabbit. This is a true story. And so I've been in between vet visits and getting him the right medication to make oh sure goodness. he doesn't have, he's fine. He's fine. What happened is, and I gave the end of the story before the beginning. It's actually kind of funny. We go food shopping for our in-laws who are just the most beautiful people ever. I absolutely love them. And so we're, we're going food shopping for them. Uh, we come home and we bring them their food and we, dr we drop Mel off before because it's going to take a while because we do our shop at the time too. Um, and they're like, Jordy, guess what? And they have these smiles on their faces. And like I say, they're the most loving, most, most caring people, but they're so hard to read. So we pull up, Jordy, guess what happened? I'm like, what? What happened? They're smiling. They go, Mello, he ate a rabbit. And I'm like, what? And I look at my fiance, Lexi, and she's like, she's got the most panic look in her face. She's like, what? We quickly Google like what we're supposed to be doing for this. And so anyway, we've been in vet visits the last 48 hours. Everything's okay. Mello's doing great. Um, just, uh, yeah, just thought I'd end what? up with that. Quite, quite, quite the story, quite the uh, tangent to go on on this episode about democracy and global <laughs> affairs. Um, but I'm glad that Mello is okay, Jordy. Um, and I want to end this note. You end, you're ending it with levity. I want to end it with optimism also, because I think Fred's statements ring true to me. And I hope that you feel it too. There's a sense of optimism out there. There's a sense that this could be the death knell that we've all been waiting for of authoritarianism across the globe, the death knell of despots and dictators and strongmen. Now, I want you to take that optimism and let it fuel your activism, fuel your engagement and get out there and use that energy for good. You see it, right, Jordy? You see it out I see there. It. I see I it. I see, and I see all your messages. I see all your tweets. I see all the DMs. I also, and I also want to thank everybody for the reaction that we got to our video, uh, "Defeat Putin," um, which has all been so humbling. The video that we made to show support with the Ukrainian people, and I hope that you look up our "Defeat Putin" video on our Twitter account and on our YouTube. But you see the optimism out there. You see the world coming together like never before. Putin miscalculated here. Putin miscalculated, and he is uniting the world in a way that has not been seen since World War II. Now let's use that same energy that we are seeing to save democracy around the world and all commit ourselves right now to protecting democracy within the borders of our own country in the United States of America. Let's do this. We have a big year. Preserve democracy. Make these strongmen, despot, Putin-loving assholes Make them all irrelevant and let's rise up and create the biggest movement of peace, of prosperity, of democracy this nation has ever seen. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Midas Touch podcast. And remember to subscribe to all the podcasts on the Midas Media Network. We've got some incredible shows, especially relevant right now is our show Kremlin File, hosted by two incredible researchers and academics who are experts in Russia relations. And so highly, highly recommend if you want to get a true sense of everything that's going on from experts in Ukraine, then make sure that you listen to Kremlin File. Thank you so much. Keep fighting for democracy. And Jordy, I will let you bring us out. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!